I'm going to talk about how to walk in God's will. And probably one of the greatest things that anybody can do for themselves, and you won't hear statements like this from me because I personally don't like statements that try to hype people up. This is the best message you're ever going to hear in your whole life. Then next week is the best message you're going to ever hear. This is going to be life-changing. Well, it's God's Word, so it always does change your life. But there are some things that are just real fundamental, I mean big time, that you can't get away from, and you have to have them in their proper place in their life. And this may be the biggest thing you have to have in your life right here. Okay? Now, you don't hear me make statements like that because I think the Bible should stand on its own, and I don't think we should get hyped up because when people aren't there to hype you up, what are you going to do? But this, if this truth gets in you and this way gets inside of you, your whole life will change. I guarantee that because it is an underlying principle to the whole Christian walk, your attitude toward God's Word, the Bible big time. It, it is what everything swings on right there is your attitude toward the Word of God. Notice Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul is writing, if you believe Paul is the author of this, it is inspired by God. But in the 12th chapter, uh, he's writing to believers here, people who have given their life to the Lord. And we're going to read the, two, the first two verses. It says, I beseech or urge you, therefore, brethren. So who are the brethren? Is everybody a brethren? Somebody said, I'm a sister. No. <laughs> sister or a brother? No, not everybody's a sister and not everybody's a brother. You right? You with me? With? And because sometimes we say stuff like that. And not everything you hear is always true. But if it's in the Bible, it's true. And not everybody is a child of God, not until they're born again. The Bible's clear on that. Jesus was clear on that. And so we need to be clear. He's talking to people who have given their life to the Lord. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So in other words, what's he saying? It's not, he, he puts these words in here, by the Spirit of God. He, he didn't say by the strong hammer hand of God but by His mercy. Mercy is what you get when you may be facing a crime and they just say, well, we're going to give you mercy. We're going to let you off. So he said, I urge you by God's mercies. And the Bible said His mercies are new every morning. So whatever you messed up yesterday, there's mercy today. And they're new every morning. And he said, Notice, he said, by the mercies of God, that he said that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual act of service. So it's our responsibility to do something with our own bodies and how we live our life. It is our responsibility as believers, you know, to do something that is appropriate with our bodies before the Lord. And so what, what does this mean? Well, you know, your ears are part of your body. Your mouth is part of your body. Your hands are part of your body. And so what we do with our body is up to us. 
and God said we are to offer it as a living sacrifice, that means that our body, because it is the car, so to speak, we travel in, in this life, then we need to, you know, do right things with it, not drive it up over a curb. We need to stay on the path and do certain things that are appropriate for a Christian. But how do we know what any of those things are? You with me? So the greatest thing that we need to know comes down to this very next verse right here, verse 2. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So notice he said, don't be shaped or pressed into the mold of this world. So that could happen to anybody if you're not careful. You could be pressured into a mold of this world to be conformed to something. But how do we avoid being conformed to the world? He said, but be transformed. Both those words their conform and transform have the word form in them. Come, conform means to come together to be formed into this image. To transform is a common word that we use. Trans means to, you know, like we make a transfer. You know, if you go to an account, you know, and you go, oh, I've got to pay a bill and I don't have enough money in that account, but I have some here, so you transfer. That word trans, you know, like transcontinental, you know, and different, you know, there were, there used to be airlines with the word trans in the beginning, and it, what does it mean? It means to go from one place and to come over to another. And the way God wants us to come over from where the world is and being pressed and shaped into its mold is what he said to be transformed. In other words, come over to this new form. And he said, the way to do it is not pray. Right? Now, is prayer important? Sure it is. But he said, but be transformed by the renewing, not the removing. So in other words, your mind is important by the renewing of your mind. What would be the purpose of you having a renewed mind? A mind that is made new, that's brought to a different place than where it is presently. What would it do for you? Well, notice what he said right here. By the renewing of your mind that or so that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Notice he says three different things concerning the will of God. He said there's some good, there's some things that are acceptable, and then there is the perfect will of God. How many of you know that without the renewing of the mind, you may not ever come to know what God's perfect will is for your life? You, you, could, not, you could live your whole life. And all, if all you did was watch Bart Simpson and watch him disrespect his dad and his mom and you laughed and thought, that was funny, 
And then you did that in your life because everybody else laughed when we watched Bart do it. And then they got a dorky preacher on there that different and nobody respects him and what he says and so what if we start because that's what we feed on we start thinking it's okay to disrespect our parents and then I start doing that unless I become transformed by the renewing of my mind through the Word of God, the Bible said the very first commandment that God ever set up that would cause you to have a good life and live long on the earth is how you treat your parents. But you could see if the world is being fed one thing and they're entertained by this, and the very first promise made or commandment made with a promise connected to it he said was that and so when i would if i start reading my bible and there's a lot more to that statement it actually truth be told it what it does more than i think people realize is is it teaches when you teach a kid to honor a parent it puts in them a characteristic of honoring authority and honoring the words of authority. And we're actually going to talk about that, I think, some today. But the issue is this. When that gets inside, then you realize there is somebody above me who God has put over me, who is supposed to govern my life and help me along the way and is looking out for my good or is supposed to be. And if I'm not respecting and honoring them, it's going to affect me. And what's happening, I'm shaping my own characteristics and my own rebellious attitude towards things. And so how could I change that? I would need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I would have to learn or my parents would have to teach me truths from the Bible. You with me? And so he said, the only way you're going to know his good, his perfect, and his acceptable will is through the Word of God. Renewing your mind with it. Because how many people think everybody when they die, they go to a better place? I mean, oh, they're just in a better place. Well, if you would read the Bible, you would find out God's will is that God wants everybody to go to a better place, but not everybody will. As a matter of fact, he said more will refuse him and not go to heaven because they reject him than do. But if you don't renew your mind, then you might have the opinion, well, everybody goes to a better place. And that's not true because if they don't receive him, Jesus, the free gift, and get saved, then they miss out. Was that God's will? No. Is it his perfect will? No. But he does accept it. You with me? There are things that God accepts, and there are things that are good, and there are things that are perfect. And he just said here, you wouldn't know his acceptable will, you wouldn't know his good will, and you wouldn't know his perfect will until you got your mind renewed with the Word of God or you start renewing your mind. And so that being said, what is the tool, and we talked about this, that renews the mind? 
It's the Word of God, the Bible. It is the Bible, and it is key. Turn with me to Mark, and we're going to read this scripture. We read this last week, Mark 4, and then we're going to press on beyond this. Is this important to know God's will and walk in His will? Because His will, remember, is not just a big event you do, but it's how you live and what God has for your life. You know, I, I am convinced that there are going to be a lot of people who get to heaven who genuinely got saved, never renewed their mind, and will get there and not realize all that was provided for them on earth. Because they didn't renew their mind and didn't find out and they didn't take the time to realize that what Christ paid for was more than just a ticket to heaven, but it was for all the things they would need in this life. You with me? Mark the fourth chapter. And we'll begin reading in the 24th verse. This is Jesus talking. He said, then he said to them, take heed... Or give attention to what you hear. This is Jesus talking. So if this was his will back then, would it be his will today? He said, I am the Lord, I do not change. So if this was his will to be careful what you hear back then, then be careful what you hear today. Why? Because it is what affects your faith. But notice this, he said, take heed what you hear with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. Notice that phrase. And it's interesting. He said, take heed what you hear with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The way you measure out is the way you get it back to you. What does that mean? Well, according to Raisin Bran, you get two scoops. If you open that container and you separated the raisins from the flakes, you're supposed to get two scoops, right? in every package of Raisin Man. Why? Because that's the measure that they used. And the measure they use is what you get. But the measure that you use is what you get. Have you ever gone to a store where they have a little scoop and you get to stick it in there and get something and you put it in? And, and you put it in the little thing and... Uh, let me bring this down to where everybody could relate. One of those candy stores. Oh, I told, okay, I was confused at first. But you get a scoop and you put it in, no matter what, you're totally responsible for the amount of candy. Like, you don't walk up front and go, whoa, oh, hey, I don't know what happened between here and there. No, you would never do that because the measure you use is the measure you get. And if you want more, then you measure out more. What if you wanted to build a pool? And uh, you said, you know, a pool would be nice because it gets hot here in the summer. A pool would be really nice. So I hand you a spoon and say, start digging. 
But somebody else said, well, here's a shovel. Start digging. Somebody else comes along with like a backhoe. Each one has a bigger scoop, and the way you measure out is what you get out of the ground. And he said, when you hear stuff, the measure you use when you hear is the way that it comes back to you. The measure you use. Somebody said, oh, I used to get made fun of for big ears, but now I'm not bothered. He's not talking about that. Somebody, you know, somebody's like, man, I had small ears. I never got made fun of. Now I'm kind of wishing I had bigger ears. No, it doesn't have to do with those ears. Actually, when he's talking about the measure here, he's talking about your personal attitude toward what you're hearing. In other words, how do you respect what is being said? Do you argue with it when I'm up here preaching the Word? Do you argue with it when you're reading the Bible? Well, I can't do that. He said forgive, but I can't do that. Our attitude toward it determines what we get out of it. I said this last week, people that struggle to get faith out of the Word of God, uh, the more their attitude becomes pliable and they respect the Word of God, faith then becomes easier to get. Because we saw that faith comes by hearing God's Word. And faith will move mountains. Faith will give you victory. But the key is, what is your attitude toward His Word? This book. And it's so interesting to me today that Jesus said this back when he was on the earth before he would, you know, before he left, he said, when I come again, because he is, he said, will I find faith on the earth? And we live in a day and age where people who are of authority are saying, well, let's change these moral standards. Let's change this. And Let's stop doing that, and they go right against the Word of God. I even said this. There are religious groups out there who, um, you know, the guys that ride the bikes with the badges that knock on your door. They'll tell you the Bible is only accurate to a certain degree, but their books supersede it. Well, what is that doing? What is that doing to them? What it's doing is placing, if they accept that mindset, it's, it's planting an attitude in them that when they read the Bible, it's good only to the degree it could be wrong based on this other thing that's superior. What's it doing? It's challenging their respect for the Bible. What else would challenge people? Society has taught us, if it feels good, do it. But God may say it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Or it does feel good, but not in that context, so don't do it. And what we've had happen in our society is we've taught people to live by their feelings in so many ways. Like, if you don't like your job because everything's just not comfortable, quit and go somewhere else. 
How many of you remember years back, maybe our parents or their parents, they got a job and they stuck with it and they didn't care. They didn't come home talking about, well, you know, it was bad. Everybody's treating me. Isn't that the truth? Because they just went and they just did it. You know, I said this the other day in prayer, you know, how our country it has changed because they've gone away from respecting this and it's become very selfish and selfishness is really opposed and in opposition to the Bible. Really, when we're talking about a right attitude, you have to come away from being selfish to have the right attitude toward the Word of God. You have to. You have to come away from a selfish attitude if you're going to have the right attitude in approaching, in approaching the Bible. I don't believe that. I don't see it. Like, I don't, what about me? But that's not comfortable on me. You have to come away from that attitude. And it's amazing to me how our society is rising up in numbers, but we're going to do something about it because we're going to share the gospel. But how many people, you know, say, well, I said this, I said it this way, you know, 50 years ago, a guy, you know, right before World War II said, don't ask what your country can do for you, but you ask, what can I do for my country? Fast forward 60-something years later, don't ask your country what, we can, what I can do for it, but ask your country, what are you going to do for me? Isn't that the truth? I mean... That kind of thinking back then, you might have got beat up for it. Okay, maybe not altogether, but you wouldn't have been on popular, you know, a real popular stand right back then. But what it is, is the attitude of selfishness has come into play here. And to really respect God and His Word, you have to come away from selfishness. I knew you guys would be excited about this. But he said, the measure you use is the measure you get back. So if I'm, if I, and I can choose to be less selfish. You with me? I can choose to be less selfish. Examine yourself and just ask yourself, is it always about me when I talk? Is it always about me in my life, in how I make my decisions? Or do I consult what the Word of God says and how I ought to be toward God? In other words, or do I just make my own decisions, go about it, whatever, never consulting? That will cultivate an attitude of respect if I quit looking just to me and start looking to Him. Many of the problems that are in the world and the fundamental ones are all out of selfishness. Adam and Eve, that was pure selfishness. Pure selfishness. I know this is pretty exciting. But what it does is all I'm doing is saying, how big of a scoop do you want? Because the fact of the matter is the way I 
measure out when I hear the Bible is what I get back. And what does that mean? It means strong faith. It means great faith. Turn, to me, turn with me to Matthew. No, turn with me to Mark 6 first. This is a familiar verse of Scripture. And I think on so many ways it helps us because it says stuff that challenges ideas that people have in the church world that are not appropriate. And so here in Mark 6, and many of you this may be a familiar verse of Scripture, but we're going to look through a, a section here. Now remember, the idea is this, we need renewed minds. We need our minds changed once our spirits have been made new. And uh, we need to do something with our body once our spirits are made new. And notice this here. This, this is real interesting to me because we're talking about the attitude by which we receive the Word of God will help renew our mind and it will help us receive the Word of God. Mark 6.1 said, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. So you get this picture. Jesus is going back to his hometown. He travels around, you know, the country. And uh, this is earlier on, so to speak, I guess, in his ministry to a degree. But uh, there have been miracles already occurring. And there have been some wonderful things happening. And he's going to go to his own hometown. And verse 2 said, and when the Sabbath, which is this day of rest or the seventh day, Saturday, had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him uh, were astonished. I mean, he made some statements that were blowing people's minds. They were like, What? And so they were astonished, but notice what they said. Now, I don't know if they said it out loud or they said it internally, but what was in them came out either out here or was finding its way inside. In other words, they're internalizing this and they're starting to say, say some stuff. Well, what did they say? This Jesus, he's awesome. No. They were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? How is it, they're, they're internalizing this, how is it that, that this is happening through this guy? Now, if that was all the story, it wouldn't help us. You could come to all kinds of conclusions. All these people love the Lord. They were like, woohoo. But what were they really saying? Notice verse 3. Is this, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So notice they start looking at him and they're like, we're familiar with this guy. We've, we saw him grow up. Aren't his sisters, aren't these his brothers, isn't his mom and 
what is going on? Notice the very next verse, or part of the verse says, so they were offended at him. They were offended at him. You know, that word offended there literally made, means they were made to stumble. They were hearing the truth, and then something happened with their personal opinion, and it made them trip. In other words, they were on course, and something was there that made them trip. What was it that made them trip? They looked at him and what he was saying like, who are you? They looked at him really, we'll see here, from a natural standpoint, not from a divine standpoint. And when we read the Bible, you should not look at it from a natural standpoint, but from a divine standpoint, that it is inspired by God. Notice this in the very next verse. They were offended, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor which is the same word as regard and respect. That's what we're talking about, respecting God's word, having a high regard for it. And he said a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. What was he saying? People are looking at me totally naturally, and they're not recognizing I am a gift from God. Here's an interesting thing that Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, I'm the son of God. You should hear me. And he was. But a prophet spoke things by divine utterance and did works and acts on God's behalf, God the Father's behalf. And so he said, you don't honor me. You're not honoring me, and that's why they stumbled. What was he bringing them? They knew prophets brought what God was saying. Prophets and apostles were the ones who gave us these words. And he said, because you don't respect and you don't honor me, that's why you have stumbled. And it's true with the Bible. Notice this, though. It says verse 5, because what did we say? Think of this in line with the measure that you use when you hear. The attitude in which you have when you hear what God is saying from his word. How respectful are you to it? Because what's interesting here is he said now he could do no mighty work. Now, he had come and told them about the mighty works he had been doing. But here it said he could do no mighty work. See, some people think Jesus can just do whatever he wants to do, whenever, wherever, however he wants to do it. And here he could not. It didn't say he would not. Because we know his will. It said he could not. Why could he not? It didn't say he didn't want to, because obviously, by trying and not being able to, you know, because he couldn't do it, 
it shows that he wanted, but it said he could not do. He could not do mighty works. Could not do no mighty work right there. Now, he was doing them in other places because we read about it. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. One, trend, one way it reads is people with minor ailments. Why couldn't he? Well, we've already seen they didn't respect him and they didn't respect what he was saying. They looked at him naturally and we've said the attitude in which you receive the word of God determines how you get faith. And how you believe. So isn't it interesting the very next verse said, And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. How come they had unbelief? Because of their attitude toward the things he said. If their attitude was different, would they have had faith? It's a good question. But we can't just answer that on our own. What if we read other verses and we'll look at one more story that shows how the attitude by which we hear the word determines how we get faith that will give us the victory in any area of life. Notice they challenged him. They didn't lift him up. They didn't even accept him as a prophet. They just looked at him totally naturally. Verse 5, so he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Verse 6 said, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, how did Jesus just leave them in their state? If, if somebody doesn't respect God's word, is there something you can do to change that? Absolutely. He did it. It said, then he went about the villages in a circuit. You know what a circuit is? He just, he went around and he just, he just went around and he kept talking to him about it. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. And what he knew is that this would chip away at their unbelief and their disrespect and their minds would begin to become renewed and they would hear things about him that would allow them to then take a hold of it and change their attitude. And when their attitude changed, bam. Let's, let's look at this set of scriptures before we close. Notice this. We'll go to Matthew 8. Here's somebody that has the right kind of attitude. And I will say this. There are things you can do to change your attitude toward the Word of God. One is begin to look at it yourself and study it. Another thing is, is when God begins to deal with you about things, respond to Him. Why? Because that's an act of my will to submit to His dealings. What does that do to me? It opens me up to Him. When I refuse, I close myself to Him. I'm practicing saying no to him. 
well, how does that work when I say no, 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 and then I'm going to read my Bible and get faith? No, right? No, 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 and no, no, probably not. But if you're just responding to him, and you can change these at any time in your life and develop them in your life, I mean, to where you have great respect for God and his word. Notice this in, in, in uh, Matthew 8, and we'll begin reading in verse 5. This is a familiar set of passages probably to people. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him. What is a centurion? I had a bike. It was called a centurion. It wasn't a bike. It was a soldier who was over a hundred soldiers. And so he was over a group and uh, he was in the military or had been in, but we know as we read, he was in and is in the military. And he comes to Jesus and verse 6 saying, he was pleading with him saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed. Dreadfully tormented. So who knows besides his paralysis what was going on. Maybe he had a high fever. I don't know. Maybe something else was wrong with him. But he was dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Was it, is, is it and was it God's will to heal him and to heal people? Yes. But what hindered the one person and enables another person, our attitude and our response to the Lord. Notice this. And so he said, I'll come and heal him. Then the centurion in verse 8 answered and said to the Lord, said, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. In other words, he wasn't lifting himself up real high even though he had a higher position in the military. And the military there is different than it is here because the military seemed that it interacted and when you, they were under the Roman rule, man, those guys could impose things on them as Jewish people. And here this guy came and begged him and said, Come, Lord, heal him. And then the, the Lord said, I'll come and I'll do it. And then he said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But speak a word, and my servant will be healed. Notice he respected his word so much that he said, if I could just have a word from you, that's all I need. Verse 9 said, for I also, now here's, here's the thing, he explains why he only needs a word and doesn't need anything else. He explains. He said, why is it that I just need a word? And he's going to tell you, for I also, 
Let me go back and read that again, verse 8. The centurion answered and said to him, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. In other words, he thought so high of him, he said, you don't just need to come to my house. And he had some authority and some rank. But he said, but only speak a word. Give me a word, a promise, a statement from you. And really in life, if we will respect God's word, you could actually find all kinds of promises. You know, years ago, I was addicted to chewing tobacco and did all kinds of stuff. And I remember I had sores all through my mouth. And I remember I gave my life to the Lord, and I was praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. I didn't know. I was so worried. I was so full of fear. They were just, you know, two or three inches long, and it was not good. And you rub your finger, and the skin would come out, and it, it was not good. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, help me. And I would go look in the mirror and kept checking how I looked, you know, looking and checking. And when I was walking down the hallway, it wasn't an audible voice, but something in me said, don't look, I'll heal you. And um, I said, all right, I won't look. I knew that he meant don't get your attention all on that. So you know what? I didn't. And I walked away that day and I started telling people, I got healed. And you know it didn't change like the first day, but within about a day or two, it just all started to disappear. Till it was all gone. And it had been there. I mean, just, just all left. And here's what's wild, though. You know, I would tell people what the Lord had done. And every once in a while, all of a sudden, just my whole mouth would, or a part of it would break out. And I, was, and I didn't know what I knew today. And so I would think, what's happening? You know, I thought I got this because you had them constantly and they disappear. And uh, I remember, you know, Glennis has, you know, I don't know if she's really shared her story in service, but there's other people like this, but she had had those uh, headaches and seizures, you know, headaches 24 hours a day for her whole life until she was, you know, for 40 years or so. And uh, she came and laid hands on her and she got healed. Well, there was more to it than that, but no medical help could help her and, um, she got healed. And, um, but it was a number of weeks later, and she would, was starting to come to prayer. Might, might have been a few months. And she was sitting there in prayer, and I knew she's getting attacked again. It's trying to get back on her. Hey, one day, if you have a headache every day, 24 hours a day, all day long, and you go one day without a headache, that in itself would be something if your whole life is spent like that. But now it's been a couple of months or six weeks or something like that. And I remember we were worshiping the Lord and I just stopped and we, you know, doing some stuff and I started sharing what happens when it comes back if it tries to. Because, you know, Jesus taught the church in the book of Revelation to hold fast to that which you have, lest at any time you lose it. And so I just started sharing, hey, if you know, if you have something and you got healed, just resist that. Don't let it come back. Just command it to leave. And uh, talked about it, you know, from the scriptures. And she did it and it left. 
and she's been that way. Amen? Somebody said, what about her med other medical conditions? That's just her. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But the fact of the matter is she just stood her ground. Her family's like, oh, yeah, amen. No. <laughs> but it's the truth. I mean, and the, and, but the thing is, when that happened to me, I didn't know. And so I was like, oh, man, and the Lord would deal with me. Just speak to that thing. And, but it left, and then it's been gone for years now from me. And where it was there all the time. But what was the thing? He said here, look at it. He said, for I'm also a man under authority. And then he said, you know, I say to, uh, let me go back and read verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. So his word is powerful enough. It's powerful enough to save you. It's powerful enough to do anything. Notice he said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak a word, one, and my servant will be healed. Think about this. You know, somebody said, well, I thought if the Lord did something, then it would just always work. Well, Jesus was give, gave a word to Peter, and it caused him to have a miracle for a while, and then he sunk and Jesus corrected him about it because Jesus didn't want him to have it just for a while, but have it the whole time. And so notice, he said, my servant will be healed. He believed in the ability of Jesus to heal. He just needed to know, do you got a word for me? And you know, there's a lot of scriptures in there. Notice this very next part. He talks about why it will work. And it's completely the opposite of what happened in Mark 6. He said, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. What was he saying? I am over people, these people that I'm over have to obey me. I recognize, they recognized it was built into them, this kind of attitude. But what's interesting, he was basically then saying, you are above everything. I got these people under me. This principle works for me here. I could fire them. I can say, go do this, and they do it. Well, you're greater, so you just speak a word. And that was his attitude. He said, you just speak a word. You just deal with me. You just tell me, and my servant will be healed. And when Jesus heard it, verse 10, he marveled and said to those who followed Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. He said, I haven't even found faith like this in Israel. What gave him that faith? 
He hadn't even heard a promise yet from God, that he, that from the Lord, that he would do it or not, other than I'll come to your house and heal him. And then he said, you don't have to come to my house. And he just said, if you'll just speak a word, he can get it. And Jesus said, I haven't found faith like this, no, not in Israel. What gave him this faith, and what was the robber of the other people's faith? Their attitude toward what God said. And really, there was an underlying fact there that this man was able to recognize no matter how big he was, he wasn't worthy, big enough, strong enough, mighty enough, equal to God. He said, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. You're a busy man. You can just speak a word. You don't just have to come to my house. And the other people said, who is this? He's like us. His brothers, his sisters are here. Here's one thing we need to remember. Our attitude is in our own control. And we can develop an attitude toward God. I remember one time praying. I have the notes to this. And the Lord dealt with me about these scriptures. Because I said, well, what do you do to build, you know, an attitude of respect toward you so that you can have this faith like this. And the Lord, for sure, I know he dealt with me on the inside. He said, if you will respond to me, it depends how you respond to me. If you respond appropriately. In other words, when he deals with you about anything, when you respond appropriately and right and in line, you're starting to build your respect toward the Lord. My next question was, well, is there a way to do it faster? I did, and I asked. I was praying. And this happened over a two-day period because there was some stuff before this and stuff after this. And, and I said, well, Lord, is there a way to do this faster to get more respect quicker? He said, yes. On the inside, he said, respond quicker. In other words, don't dilly-dally for six months to obey. Because then that's when you develop it. But if you know now, do it. And whenever you're challenged, it might be when you're reading and you know, I got to forgive. Well, I'm holding on for a couple months. You're delaying your development of respect because you're refusing what he's saying. But to develop it, you go, okay, I'm going to forgive. Now I let it go. Uh, here we go. But remember... Here's the interesting thing, and we'll close with this thought. What I find interesting is about this story is Jesus did not say, hey, you can't use that kind of attitude because you got it in the military. You didn't learn that at church. You could see why children learning to obey their parents, it's the same thing, learning to have an authority figure and be in submission by their own will so that as they get older, they can carry that over to things with God. You with me? They can take that attitude and then put it over with the things of God. That's what he was saying. He goes, I learned this in the military and I'm just taking and plugging it in here with you because I recognize you are an authority. And so what would change my respect? Well, I can guard my thoughts, but one thing would be to start reading. 
Start reading your own Bible. Why? You know, start in the New Testament. Start reading it. So when you come across something and it challenges you and you know it's the Lord dealing with you, then you have an opportunity. An opportunity to what? To obey. And the quicker you obey, the quicker your respect for God will grow. And what will that do? It will open you up to His things. The measure we use is how we get it measured back. I know this is exciting because this will change your prayer life. It will. It'll change every area of your life. I mean, if you'll learn just to go, okay, I'm not going to go by what I feel, even though sometimes your feelings go, they were this way to me, and the Lord's dealing with you, don't be that way back. Like, oh, I'd like to. Oh, would I like to. But you go, no, because I know that he's dealing with me, and the quicker you do it, the more you're going to be developing your respect toward the Lord. You with me? This is real. We live in a society that teaches us not to respect authority. We live in a society where they say, you know, the Bible, that's no good. We don't believe all that stuff anymore. They're teaching us things that will erode our attitude toward God. And if our attitude toward Him and His Word gets sour, it will affect our faith. Because it is the channel by which, this book is the channel by which we get faith. Which First John said, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so, if we want to develop strong faith, our respect for His Word has to be the utmost. The highest. Because why? Because then our battles with what he said changes. We just go, okay. We're not like, but wait a minute. Okay, you said it. We're not arguing. Yeah, but what about this and what about that? Okay, you said it. You said it. I'll, okay. Well, I'm not going to turn there, but James says this. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save or change your soul, your mind. What is the word meek there? It literally means one who does not fight and argue against. That's your attitude of respect. I'm not fighting against and arguing against it. Amen? This is good stuff. It's helpful because it tweaks you inside. Then when you read the Bible and it said, I'm for you and I'll never leave you, and you go, okay, doesn't matter what I feel, I know it. And your faith will get strong.